0: All right, everybody, Greg Scheinman here, Midlife Mail Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. I will continue to say it. Thank you. I'm extremely grateful and appreciative that you guys out there listen, that you leave that five-star rating. You have given us that nice review you have sent me a dm you've subscribed at gregshineman.com to the newsletter you're following me on instagram at gregshineman if you're not doing these things yet please do it means a lot to me I want to keep the midlife mail movement growing I want to add value to your lives I want to share stories from successful inspiring, real, authentic men who are, like all of us, working towards maximizing middle age, achieving a better quality of life, flipping the script on the midlife crisis, reversing the negative connotation of middle age, that it is dull boring, monotonous, conforming. Because it's not, and it does not have to be. It can and should be the best time of your life. It should be fun. Let's not stop having fun. Embrace curiosity. Challenge yourself. Take on new activities. This is not about quitting your job, throwing caution to the wind, following your passions, being galactically irresponsible to the responsibilities and obligations that you have. It is about experiencing, learning, applying a better way to do things, a more positive way to think, to live, to perform, to act. Get a little healthier if you need to. Have a little bit more fun if you haven't gotten up from your desk in a while. Spend a little bit more time with your family. Take a little pride in the way you look the way you dress, the things you say, the things you don't say, what you're reading, what you're watching. Don't set those interests aside for later. Bring them in now. That path of get up, get dressed, go to work, do the same thing over and over again, knock it out, retire at 65. Uh Uh-uh. Work towards building and living a life that you can enjoy each day. And that does not mean all day, every day is going to be a party, rainbows and unicorns. It means... You have to put things in the right order. You've got to prioritize. You have got to balance. You have got to find a way to work hard and play hard. Because we don't get old because we stop playing. Wait a second. I screwed that up. We don't stop playing because we get old. We get old because we stop playing. And I'm leaving that in there. You think these takes are one and done and that I get this stuff right? No. It's stuff wrong all the time. And I'm leaving it in. Things come out wrong. I rethink them and want to do them over again. There are questions I wanted to ask in this interview coming up and I totally forgot to ask them. There are things I said that I shouldn't have said some places I should have gone, didn't go. It's okay. Perfect is the enemy of good. We're going to keep cranking out episodes. I'm going to keep cranking out newsletters. Guys are going to keep coming on. It's going to keep growing. We're going to go. We are going to go. Hang on. I got to take a sip right now of my Mountain Valley spring water with my athletic greens in it. I take this every day. I love athletic greens. I just put a scoop in my water. I shake it all up. I really don't care what it tastes like. People ask me about taste all the time. That's not really a factor. I just need the greens. It doesn't taste bad. Put it in there, shake it up. I get all my greens. It's my daily nutritional insurance policy. This is actually a brand I really enjoy working with. And I was using it for years before we started working together. If you're interested in trying Athletic Greens, it is athleticgreens.com forward slash midlife mail. There's no discount code on that. They don't discount the product. It's too damn good for that. You will pick up a free vitamin D. So... You got that going for you, but check it out. If you're not taking Athletic Greens, you should start. And I really like these green glass bottles that Mountain Valley Springwater uses. Keep it next to my bed. makes me feel like I'm in a hotel. Okay, let's talk about this week's episode and our guest, Jeff Rochester. Jeff and I met, man, it's got to be 15 years ago. I applied for a job to work at WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, formerly WWF. That's what it was when I was growing up. I have been a lifelong wrestling fan. I would take the train into Madison Square Garden. Uh, My dad introduced me to wrestling when he was alive. I had birthday parties at Nassau Coliseum, closed circuit television. This was before pay-per-view the original dawning of cable television, world championship wrestling down in Atlanta, Gordon Soley, Ted Turner, that kind of stuff. Man, I was into it all. And I thought I actually wanted to go work for the WWE and I applied for this job in marketing, promotions, and ended up in a meeting with Jeff Rochester who very quickly... Um, made it apparent that I was not going to be getting this job. (laughs) Thank you for that, Jeff. He was the executive vice president for marketing. Prior to that, he was at Showtime where he was a senior vice president. He worked at Comcast earlier in his career, Radisson Hotels, Procter & Gamble. But anyway, uh, Jeff and I got along during the interview Really enjoyed his candor, his insight. He left a lasting impression on me. And we have sporadically stayed in touch over the years. Ironically, I tend to get along better with people maybe I didn't work for or work with than maybe some of the ones that I have and do. So I reached out to Jeff. I asked him to come onto the podcast. He has moved on in his life. Serving in global roles as managing director and chief marketing officer at the Nature Conservancy, where he's responsible for steering the organization's marketing membership and visibility strategies. And he is now a strategic advisor to nonprofit businesses. He is a thought leader across corporate sustainability and responsibility, NGOs, philanthropy and social entrepreneurship. He is the founder of GRC Advising. And he's just a great guy. And he's joining us all today on the Midlife Mail podcast. Here we go. <laughs> Jeff Rochester, thank you for being here.
2: It's my pleasure, and I hope they hear the backstory because we have actually haven't talked in quite some time. How long has that been? It's over wow, over
0: 20 years?
2: Oh. Well, no, not 20. Uh, oh. I was at WWE in 08, 07. Okay. So what are, however many years that is, 14?
0: 14. 14, yeah. After I got I guess the consideration was, are, am I going to be in Houston or am I going to be maybe in Connecticut? You know what yeah. i East Coast, you know, back, yeah. Yeah. Back, back then. So it has been, it's definitely been a journey. Um, but one of the reasons I also wanted to reach back out to you after all this time is I got to tell you, you made such an impression on me when I interviewed at WWE. Um, just your character, the kind of person you were, the way you approached the position and, and the company, that even though I mean, everything happens for a reason, unfortunately, I didn't get the gig, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, ju- you just left a really la- a positive, lasting impression on me. So thank you.
1: Well,
2: that, that's, that's flattering. And, and part of that, quite frankly, is I think, look, I've moved quite a bit, both physically and also with jobs. And I think you learn perspective and you learn not to take yourself, the company or the job too seriously. And it's kind of freeing. Because you know you're supposed to have this script, but you can look somebody in the eye and tell them, like, what, what's really going on, right? And I, I think that's the way I would want to be treated. And that's how I've always interviewed, you know, for, for decades. I've always said my job is to help you accomplish your goal. So it's not just shilling for the company. It's really like having an honest and respectful dialogue
0: you mm-hmm. you've as you had mentioned making different transitions uh, throughout your career and you had this it looks like this this trajectory from entertainment and well showtime WWE to now you know what you're what you're doing um with philanthropy and advising and in the and in the social you know social space has that been a conscious shift, like as you've grown personally, professionally as, as a man, like how did you envision this or how did this kind of take place?
2: Yeah. there are really two story arcs. Uh When I came out of grad school, I I went to I had the pleasure of going to Wharton. I came out of Wharton. I went to Procter and Gamble PNG, actually their Richardson Vicks division, first job out of grad school. And they took I think either the, I think they took all of the employees in that location through something called seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen. W. And there's a tombstone exercise. What do you want on your tombstone? And I had deliberately started my career in packaged goods because I was, i had been mentored and I had read that, you know, the best marketers are coming out of Coke, out of General Foods, General Mills, Procter, Pepsi. So I started my career deliberately in consumer packaged goods. The covey tombstone exercise, they say, what do you want to be on your tombstone? And yes, there are these personal reflections about love and life, et cetera. Mine was I wanted to be able to market anything. And so what's what what has driven most of my career is that I've been agnostic, industry agnostic. There are two models. You 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 go to big tech, you work with IBM, and then you work with Dell, and then you you know, you do the circuit, and you stay in that sector for 20, 30 years. I never wanted that. So I started in in packaged goods deliberately because I thought that was a great foundation. And then I was lucky enough to follow the demand for packaged goods marketers through the travel industry, it was Radisson and Marriott, through media and entertainment. I went to cable at Comcast when, you know, they had 90 analog channels. And they're trying to figure it out. No broadband, no dial-up, just 90 analog channels. And then they exploded. And so in both instances, when I went to the hotel industry, they were hiring people from Coke, Pepsi, Procter. When I went to cable, they were hiring people from Coke, Pepsi, Procter. So I followed that trend. And then the the other subtext is I was pipe, which is Comcast, the delivery mechanism. And then I jumped at the opportunity to work on the content side, Showtime and then World Wrestling. That was the first kind of story arc. Then when I went to the Nature Conservancy, yes, it had to do with philanthropy and social good. It also had to do with what I felt was the next big thing. So if I just left media and entertainment after broadband and streaming and all those kind of things, uh, the next big thing to me was green tech. I had heard Richard Branson say, you know, probably in 08, no, yeah, oh eight, oh seven, 07, that uh, green tech was going to create more value wealth capital than the internet had so i was all in so at the time i thought i would end up going to a green tech for profit for example um you know a solar utility company Mm -hmm. right an electric utility company not gas not fossil fuels but i went to the nature conservancy because it felt like a fortune 500 so there are really two story arcs here cpg and being agnostic to industries and wanting to explore and learn how to market anything. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, uh, uh, interest in green that led to deep and abiding interest in uh, social purpose. Now the social purpose thread started when I was at Showtime, which was Viacom and we would promote no HIV AIDS awareness. So that was in that 05 period. And the lesson there was when you get, MTV, VH1, CBS, Paramount, all those big brands promoting a singular issue like HIV AIDS awareness. You did more good in the world than the top five nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So That was in the back of my head. When I was at WWE, we did reading programs for kids. We, did, uh, we were a partner with uh, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. So I, I, I had had some experience hands on in the power of, you know, social good and the power of brands and companies to do social good. And nature conservancy was a confluence of both of those mm. or all of those.
0: It, it's a great, it's a great arc. So where do you stand on kind of generalist versus specialist? You know, as you, as you outline the trajectory and you say, look, I wanted to be able to market everything. Uh, and, but at the same time, you're an excellent marketer. You know, like you've got to specialize on the art and skill of marketing, but there's generalization in in your background of jumping from industry to industry and various products, causes that have been extremely different there.
2: Yeah. So it's it's funny. I think, look, if I was a CEO or running a business, I wouldn't want you know, if, if it's a hundred employee company, I wouldn't want a hundred experts in that if they didn't have broader perspective. I think I think you want, especially in marketing, I think you want a good alchemy of people that have deep, deep knowledge of the brand. And and I and, and it's not mutually exclusive, but also people that have good peripheral vision. Right. Mm. And so I tend to bring both of them. I don't consider myself to be the penultimate expert in any vertical And, you know, the good news is when when you're a change agent, you learn very quickly that you're being hired because you're not the penultimate expert, right? You're you're teaching that dog new tricks. They're bringing you on board to help find that intersection of a team that has 15 years sector experience with what's happening outside, right? So I've always played that role. You know, typically, especially if you're at that CMO level, you're going to have a team. You're going to have 15, 20, 60 people. Mm-hmm. Know the business, and and what the the board or the management is looking for is they're trying to grow market share, and they feel they've capped out on all the tricks that they know on how to grow market share, and they're trying to learn from outside. So so you're right. I don't consider myself. Uh, you know, I, I know philanthropy well. I know nonprofit. I know the environment, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to go toe to toe with a PhD scientist on the environment, right? But, but, but I can find the intersection between what they're trying to get accomplished and what's happening out there, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the, the big lesson there is that historically, it's better now, but historically, the environmentalists were terrible storytellers, right? They're talking about two degrees of climate change over 50 years. No emotional resonance, right? Meanwhile, if you're a cancer nonprofit, you're talking about my aunt Mabel died last year from breast cancer. That's why I'm here talking to you feels completely different, but, mm-hmm. but that, that's something you get when you, when you can be somewhat insular in your thinking, your approach experiences.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Shifting gears a little bit. Um, Cause when we had the pre-call, the catch up, the majority of our conversation in this first 15, 20, 20 minutes of that was, was really also about family, a lot about family. Um, and I, I want to Open up with that. I've got you know, six Fs that I that I tend to focus on. You know, we tend to talk about family, fitness, health, finance, you know, uh, food, nutrition. Uh, we make it into a little fashion, a little style. You know, here to, and then ultimately fun. Um, I was waiting for fun. Yep. And 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 by the way I'm going to flip that flip that to the top it's 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 I'm glad you said that because over the last couple of days in particular um, that conversation about fun has really come front and center that the connotation of of midlife or middle age is more on the dull side um, or the connotation is dull or crisis or boring and I want to flip that that around so since since we went there let I'll I'll go there now what do you do for fun well
2: so um, when I came out of grad school and I don't know why, but I had, I think, I think the presence of mine is say, look, one can live to work or work to live. So when you think about a uh a Serena, well, someone that's at the top of their game, is that work or is it fun? So for me, part of what I derive enormous emotional pleasure from is helping people. I was talking to somebody this morning who worked with me for years at Showtime and she's now working with me at my current job. And I was smiling at the fact that we're attracting all these young interns unpaid to be clear for the time being, at least unpaid. And, you know, Alicia and I are both over 50 and we take joy. Actually, I don't, I don't know if she's over 50. I'm definitely over 50, but we both take joy in these, these kids we're working with. It's fun. I had dinner with one, um, Maddie, in Kentucky last week. And I, I was telling Alicia, this kid is something some cross between a unicorn and a savant. And, the, and she was schooling me on some things. And I think I know a few things. But she was telling me her take on Bitcoin and where it's going and the derivatives of Bitcoin. And I was, I was smiling. I was happy. It filled my heart, right, to be, just to be around this young man mind so some of how i derive fun is intellectual stimulation um with people of good heart trying to do big things in the world and anything i can do to help them that's fun man i would do that i could do that 24 7 running right Mm. now in the classic definition of fun i'm a beach guy like you know having worked at nature conservancy i i hang around you know a lot of those people, they're mountain climbers. They're skiers. They're great outdoors people. You know what? I love the outdoors. I don't want the outdoors to hurt me. <laughs> so When I'm laying on a beach, I'm outside. And it's, you know, I'm not breaking an ankle on a ski slope. I'm not cold. <laughs> so so I, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm a couch potato in the classic definition of, of fun. I'll bike some, road bike. I'll play some tennis, right? Those are fun activities. Cooking is my passion. I love to just rattle around in the kitchen. You know, long day, COVID, COVID, we all cook more, you know, in a way, and this is going to, well, I won't go there, but there were certain aspects of COVID I really enjoyed. And every day I waited for that moment when I would go to Trader Joe's early in the morning, first in line, first 20 people. And I'd pick out my meal for the, not every day, my meals for the week. And then I couldn't wait to like start that you know lamb chops or branzino or shrimp or whatever it was. But, but that feeling of cooking, whether it's for myself or multiple people, like I used to do these big barbecues. So those are a smattering of the things that I do for fun. But the one that is not intuitively obvious is this notion of work as fun and pleasure. Like I, mm-hmm. I take great fulfillment in just learning new things.
0: Right. And yeah, I think, I think it's, it's so valuable to be able to kind of be able to combine that professional expertise with, with personal passion, you know, that you've got to be able to, to enjoy what you do. Um, and I also really, resonate with what you're talking about in terms of the food aspect and the cooking. And there are some serious positives uh, from, from the pandemic, as much as there certainly were obviously greater challenges, you know, and, and this is a situation that is unfortunate on a on a global level, but buying habits have changed, shopping habits have changed, um, the ability to spend more time and pursue other hobbies or certain things like that. Sit around the table, make better meals. We mm-hmm.
2: had to slow down. We had to slow down, and 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 out of that came some very wonderful things.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a gentleman on, um, Joel Nieb, who's Air Force fighter pilot, Thunderbird, cancer survivor, American Ninja Warrior, amazing guy. Um, and he said, I don't know whether it was totally his, but he put it out there. And he said, you know, when you strip everything away, you get to choose now. Kind of what you bring back also, um, and I think there's been kind of a a very positive kind of course correction in that in slowing down, stepping back, stripping everything away, and now deciding what do I really like? what is fun for me? where do I put my time? Uh, what do I want to buy per se? Is it experiences that I miss? Is it certain things that create experiences mm-hmm. is cooking that meal? more empowering and more fun than I was running on that takeout, you know, circuit, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or all the dinners maybe we had out that we did not want to attend, you know, but you were absolutely,
1: absolutely
0: not. obligated anyway,
2: or expected. I think there's some profound learnings coming out of COVID. The other one I discovered was walking. I was never a walker. I'm a gym rat, so I don't mind. Like, I like predictability. I get up at six. I'm in the gym by 6.30. I'm up by 7.15. Like boom, right, and I can get a good workout and get a sweat. The gyms were closed, so and it was kind of cold, right? I'm not like I said, I I don't want nature to hurt me, so <laughs> so I, I had to wait till it got a little warmer, like high 40s, and I started to walk. And it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I would try to get out there by 630, 6.15, walk for an hour and a half, do four miles. Uh, I was out. It felt good. I'm an early guy anyway I could order my thinking
0: and it was good for my body I dropped 12 pounds so it was wonderful mm, that that's awesome when you were going on these walks um was it your t- uh, your time alone but were you listening to things were you making calls were you doing or just hey yeah,
2: yeah well so, so I did I did do some calls uh in fact one of my clients at the time he actually dropped I think 25 pounds and so we were on this we were on this identical journey Mm-hmm. And we call each other and support. And look, it was, you know, April, May. It was depressing. It was tough. It was tough on business, too. So we talk about our personal lives. We'd talk about his business and how I was advising him. We got to be very close. I tried not to over-schedule the time of my wants. I would talk to one guy in the UK every morning, one guy in Florida every morning. I really didn't listen to anything. I just, like, I, I enjoyed the moment. And that's mm-hmm. rare. And that's rare.
0: No, I th- and again, I think it's super, super valuable about, again, recapturing some time. You know, we've got so much time that was spent commuting. You know, it was, it was getting up and it was getting dressed or it was dropping kids off at schools or daycares or whatever it may be, shuffling and spending, you know, in our case at our from we've got people that are you know spending hour plus each way, you know, commuting. I mean, wow. we've all come from those backgrounds, especially when I was in, in New York. Um, and when you... you know, Good, bad, or indifferent—the the the reason behind it. When you give people that amount of time back, you know the it's how do you how do you utilize it Uh, and the ability to combine getting healthier, maybe dropping some weight, getting some movement versus sitting down at your desk or being stuck in your car. Uh, People have become much more accepting again of allowing. I would tell clients all the time: I'm out again. I'm out walking, or I've got my dog with me, or something else. And people were now okay with that being a business call
2: That's a great 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 insight and I, I knew that intellectually but you nailed it the you know we, we've always divorced those two right and you know you, you never want you never wanted someone to hear your dog barking on a business call mm-hmm. never, or your child playing right yep. and so yeah that that's that's another important insight is we, we, we created a harmony. We, we it became acceptable to have harmony between those two worlds
0: i think it's such a beautiful thing that that in that aspect we've humanized so many so many areas um and that intersection of of personal and professional in there and i think it solidified some great relationships or made relationships stronger and then, and also in other areas, maybe it wasn't the right relationship with the right fitter, by the way, you're a cat person, I'm a dog person, we figured that out. Okay, like, yeah, yeah. that's fine, too. <laughs> well, and- well the,
2: the reality is, there's a certain artificiality in feeling that this thing you do nine to five, that in some cases, not all cases, in some cases, you love, and it is how you put food on the table. That there should be this bright line between that and who you are, and what you do, and where you live, and who you love, right? So, I, I think, I think uh, that that's a wonderful insight.
0: I think it goes back to what you said. Also, live to work or work to live, and I think depending upon what your perspective is going into it that way professionally, maybe you have a harder. Line than others, or or a more blurred line, depending upon how you feel that way.
2: Well, and 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 you know th- th- this this is uh, this this conversation is is wonderful because you just helped me nail something. I've always been an entrepreneur groupie. A lot of my good friends are entrepreneurs, and yet I've always been the guy with the big Fortune five hundred job, right? And if you talk to any entrepreneur, it's seamless. It has to be. Right, you know. Number one, they're always hustling. Mm-hmm. Right. Number two, they you know self-selecting. You you don't you don't start a business that you hate. You start a business <laughs> that you love. Right. So I think most entrepreneurs I know, it is seamless their work and their family and their life. Right. It has to be. And I think in the corporate world has always had this artificiality to it. Plus, you know, there are millions of people working for these big companies that don't like what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly. So uh, I, think, I, th- I think that's another model. The entrepreneurs probably always had the dog and the cat and the kids and all of it, right? Because they couldn't lease office space in Manhattan.
0: The 24-7 of it all as well. No, less separation or no separation between that. Um, so if you don't like what you do and you're in that kind of company or situation, and now you're mentoring kids, young people on the way up. You're in your 50s, as you said, also. Uh, what's your perspective on change, moving on, transitioning, the responsibilities that we pick up also when you are married with kids, a lifestyle? You've had it also. I've always been with that company with the benefits, with the 401k, you know, there. uh do we quit? Do we move to something we're passionate about? Do we, Or do we find other areas that we can compensate, you know, for, um, I'm probably, have had some of these conversations with people on the fence of what do I do? Yeah.
2: Yes. I literally, I literally had dinner with a friend, uh, yesterday evening. Uh, she's not a young kid. She's a mature woman. And she is in a job that has become, um, uh, almost intolerable, but she's been there for quite some time, 10 plus years. And she has constraints in terms of, you know, uh, primary head of household, etc. And my only advice to her, because we, we spent a good 20 minutes on this topic. And my only advice to her was do it on your own terms. So, you, you know, you have presence of mind. You're self-aware of your frustrations. Don't wait till you get to a point where like you're walking out day of. Right. Plan, plan so so in that situation, the advice was don't underestimate that you do have options. And you have to just do the work to generate what those options are because you're gonna get to a boiling point where you don't have those options. You're just gonna quit and you know, you then you'll mount a search and get your resume together, et cetera. And that's you know, that's two to three months just to 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 to, to have runway to find something, right? So that was a very pragmatic advice for the young people I meet that, that I, that when I have these conversations, you know, they have their whole lives ahead of them. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: so that feels like a game. And, and some of this doesn't necessarily come across as fun, right? Cleaning up your resume or cleaning up your LinkedIn. The thing I tell a lot of young people in, in whatever field they're in is to get their LinkedIn game up to be able in advance of a transition so in essence, inventory your assets, uh, tighten them up as tools to make a transition to that job that perhaps you like. Right. I had a, I had a good friend of mine who's an attorney. Uh, she was studying for law school, and she had the best. She had a wonderful strategy of researching the companies that were listing jobs, because you know that's a cattle call, right? Doing a LinkedIn app for a job. Mm-hmm. But she had very good success at researching the company, finding a decision maker, getting in for an informational interview. I've never seen anything like it. It was brilliant. She, she wrote these very, it wasn't like I'm looking for a job, I've seen the ad. It was much more up here and it worked. So, so all I'm getting, I don't have any brilliant advice on the career transition stuff other than, you know, um, if you're older and you think it's going to happen, you better try to do it in a proactive way versus reactive, so do it on your, you know, that advice is do it on your terms. It's gonna Mm -hmm. happen, right? If you hate your job, you're gonna switch at some point, so. Uh, And then for the younger people, um, the world is their oyster, and for industries that they don't know that well, you know, I'll tell them to read up and get smart, and then make sure that in their their social, they're starting to demonstrate some kind of expertise, curiosity, because that will attract people to them, right? Mm. If you're working for an auto company and you want to work in fashion, start to be the smartest person in the room on fashion. Even if you if you don't have the time or money to get an MBA or take a degree, just become functionally literate in it, and that will attract you know energy and opportunity and things
0: like that. I love that word curiosity too, um, and I think sometimes people hold that back, you know, um, because there's a fear of, of of asking questions, you know, or being too curious. And I'm supposed to stay in this, in this area, you know, that, that I'm in. Uh, But I just love that, that exploration of curiosity and and remaining curious. I mean, you've rattled off a number of also companies that you have, you have worked for and worked with that the evolution of those companies and those brands without curiosity, you know, without innovation, without people to challenge the way the thought process may or may not have been, they, they don't evolve.
1: You know?
2: One of the most disappointing things for me professionally is if I'm a, in a room full of uh, more junior people, for lack of a better word, and they're not peppering me or each other with questions. You know, either during a presentation, after presentation, because and and it may be unfair, but I want to see your mind is activated, right, right. And it, it's not. I don't want to say there's no stupid question. There's certainly some questions that like. <laughs> Maybe it shouldn't have asked, but, <laughs> but in general, in general, you know, if, if, if I see that spark, I know I can take that someplace.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? It's like a coachable athlete. You know, you perfect. want somebody that's coachable, you know, there. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. We bypassed family cause we went straight into fun and, and we evolved into a variety of ways you can have, <laughs> have right. fun and, right. and the definition, which is, which is great because the point of this also is there is not one set way to do anything. You know, different perspectives, different ways to embrace curiosity. Fun is different for anybody that is that is out there. Uh, as is family, to a degree, how we behave, act, uh, manage our our family situation. Uh, how are you as a dad? You know,
2: yeah. So, so, so my family, def- my my definition is distinct and apart. I'm I'm single. I'm, I don't have any kids. I was married for a while, uh, not married anymore. So when I think of family, I don't think of the nuclear family in the way most people do. Uh, the first thing I think about are my parents. I'm their primary caregiver. They're in Barbados, thousands of miles away. Mm-hmm. And you and I have so many friends that have gone through the ups and downs of senior parents. So I'll say anyone over 70, 75, right? And, uh, and, and with Alzheimer's and all the things that come with that. So the whole playing a role of parent for my parents has been profound and i have an ex-girlfriend who told me probably 15 years ago she said jeff you're going to end up being a parent to your parents and you're unsuited like you don't know what that looks like you've never been a parent right and you're mm. going to be in your 40s and all of a sudden you're taking care of your senior parents so the 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 insight and the emotion that i have around family first and foremost is around my parents And, and the, and the reality is it's inevitable. The headline there is it's inevitable. I can do what I want, wish what I want, throw as much money as I want. It's inevitable. And that's, uh, that is, uh, that's tough to deal with. Right. Then there's my brother and his family. And when I think about them, I think about my nephew who I can be closer to, right. He's a young guy in his early twenties, uh, and then, you know, as you expand the definition of family for me, you know, there's obviously close friends. But for me, quite frankly, a lot of my clients are like family, right? These CEOs that I advise um, and, uh, and I've gotten quite close to them. And, you know, in my consulting practice, I think of it more as an advisory than client agency, which means you get way deep mm-hmm. uh, I have a client. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I'll be attending his wedding and I'm very close friends with his fiance and we feel like family. And then there's another client in, uh, in Florida and, you know, his wife has been through some health issues, et cetera. So just as I said earlier that in how I carry myself, is it work play? What is it? It's integrated. When I think of the relationships I have with some of my clients, I think of them as family Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't want that any other way. I don't want it to just be a commercial transaction. Right. And, and look, to be clear, there's some that are commercial transactions, but probably half of them, whether I was consulting with them or not, we would be good friends. We want a vacation together. I mean, we we've, we've become very close. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I don't think of kids and wife and, family in that way because I don't have any of that right mm-hmm. the other thing I think about with family I have mad respect mad respect for parents like I brother I don't have the skills or the aptitude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was that with your own relationship with your family obviously being very close with with your parents and and in the situation that you're in now and you mentioned a brother and a nephew um uh, did your family push you to either, you know, defend your ideals, you know, or your position to not have children or do this? You know, I've got two younger brothers, um, both single now. One divorced with a child. The other one perennially single. We have no idea, you know, of anything happening on the on the horizon. Over forty and and single um, in there. And then we lost our father early, and you know, I was a teenager when my father passed away so single mother for the majority of of our lives so different degrees of family I think we all grew up with different perspective but we've also probably done too much pushing of one another too many assumptions too many judgments too much of our own will you know upon others that don't need to hear it mm-hmm.
2: yeah I, I uh, this is a sad this may come across as sad it's not uh, it's just a fact. I, I, so born in Barbados, Mm -hmm. reflection of British culture, stiff upper lip. So, uh, and, and Barbados is known as little England. We're more British than the Brits. So there wasn't a lot of like around the dinner table, people getting into your business. Right. Okay. Formal number one. And then number two, since I was 12, Greg, I mean, I was, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily want to share this with people, but I was. I was same way when I was twelve. I was president of my class for four years in a row. I tell people when I was eleven, twelve, thirteen, I would go to, you know, PTA meetings. I'd leave home at seven a.m. for orchestra, and some teacher would bring me back home at eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night. I'd been sucking down coffee for like, you know, the last two hours. So the point being. I developed a worldview very early that work was going to be really important to me, mm-hmm. and my family recognized that and just gave me the space. Quite frankly, so
0: no, look, I think it's I think it's great, and you know the what shapes men is just is just very interesting to me. Experiences, what they come across, how well they know themselves, how long it takes for some guys to know themselves how many conform and just do what they're quote unquote supposed to do or follow that, that linear path. Um, I heard somebody the other day said, the worst thing you could possibly do is have children with the wrong person. Also.
2: You know, like- so, so, so let's go there for a minute. I, I felt probably in my early thirties, late twenties, I, you know, I modeled, my parents have been together uh, their entire lives. I would argue they're still in love. You know, what, what scares me is if either one to pass. Well, my mom would be fine because she's had Alzheimer's, so, right? But my dad would be devastated at her loss. And so the point is, in my late teens and early 20s, when I thought about romance and family and couples, I had great role models. I'd seen my parents, right, and the way they'd conducted themselves. And I always felt that um, getting married was important, having kids even more important, and you have to have the right chemistry. It's not something to be done lightly. Mm-hmm. So, And I've known people that perhaps I could have, but I've always felt, and maybe I'm just chicken, maybe I'm just chicken, right? <laughs> but but I've always felt exactly what you said, that the the act of having kids, is the penultimate sacrifice and the penultimate decision, and not that you can make perfect decisions, but it it, it has to be taken with great care.
0: Mm-hmm. A- absolutely, absolutely. Well, well said. With everything that you have going on, mm-hmm, how do I get on your calendar? Like, what makes it through? What do you look for? What do you oh, say yes to? Yeah, what do you say, uh, say no uh, to in terms of uh, managing your day?
2: I'm not that good at any of that stuff. I mean, look, and, and I'm, I'm hard. am so I'm not nearly as disciplined as I should be. I'm not nearly as good as it, as I should be. I let a lot of people in, I, you know, truth be known, one of the, one of the, one of the things I'm, i least proud of is that a lot of people hit me on social and I'm not responsive. Um, uh, and I try to be careful when I post, because when I post, I get a lot of views and reactions. So, uh, the, the the best story of somebody getting on my calendar, cold call, cold call is back when I was WWE. I, I, I don't remember the guy, but I remember the, the pitch. He had been just cold calling me through my uh, WWE uh, email, and he finally put in a subject line. This is the last time I'm going to bug you. And I picked up the phone. I picked up the phone and called him immediately because I felt so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's my best story. But no, I'm, I'm pretty, I am pretty um, I try to be as accommodating as possible with my time. And I get it. And, and we're all busy and you'll hear somebody say, oh, I'm really busy and get back to me in two or three months. I really do that. I do that. I really do that. I always try to make time um, because you never know. And we've all been there, right? And, and I'm not discriminating enough to say this is completely off strategy. It's a complete waste of time. I'm not going to give it the light of day, right? I, I rarely do that. I will with like vendors kind of. But if some, if it's, uh, and I, I I deal with a lot of referrals. People just, you know, you know, and, you and I are similar. Um, uh, people think we know a few things. And so people will send people our way to just get advices. And I try to be as, as generous as possible. And quite frankly, I saw a flip in my own behavior and in my friend's behavior. Oh, wait, it was profound, I think. I had a lot of friends with big jobs in 08 that lost those jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think we all, myself included, we all gained a new level of humility, right? Big, important job. We think we're big and important. We're pulling down lots of lots of uh, equity and, and cash. And all of a sudden, you know, you feel discarded, right? And that your loyalty had not engendered anything. I didn't feel that way. But I think a lot of people, you know, 10, 15 years with the same company, Mm-hmm. And, they had to, and they had to, you know, they had, everybody had to downside. They had to make those decisions. And so I saw a distinct, different attitude in people's willingness to take calls and referrals from others. And I think it was because of a collective professional vulnerability mm-hmm. there but for the grace of God, go I. So I, I was pretty open before, but I, I've, I've tried to be as open and accessible and as giving as possible um, since then.
0: Yep, and I think that time period also um, it kickstarted a lot of the entrepreneurship that you alluded to before. This notion of if we go to these big companies and we put the best years of our lives you know, into I mean, these these big companies and expect them to either take care of us or or reward us or there's going to be this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and, and then all of a sudden the so the IPOs don't happen, the dot-com bubble bursts, all these other things. Mm-hmm. Well, do we reclaim in against some of ourselves and say I'd rather put my eggs in in maybe my own basket, you know, or or create? You know, I think for a while there was a lot of There was a lot of glamour, I guess, or or prestige in going into big companies and saying, "My role here is—I didn't start the company, but my role is to make the company better." You know, while while I'm here. And then there was some of it that was made the company better, or I thought we were making the company better. And look at where you know maybe this this didn't end end the way I wanted it to. So do I go out? And I think it spurred a lot of. I think we started talking about consumer products goods and what's happened in consumer products goods, you know, even now from back then to now, private equity, venture capital, brand building, um, doing it on your own and maybe being acquired versus going into the company to begin with. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Look, it's, it's a, you know, when we last spoke, we talked about what does it mean to be middle-aged, right? And a man and. You know, one of the words that comes to me is freeing. Now, look, I might feel differently if I was married with kids. But the fact that I'm not trying to do this with my career, right, uh, is freeing. Right? And and look, one of the best things I've decided to do was start my own business. I, you know I, I, I smile and I laugh at the stress my friends are dealing with because I'm my boss, right? And it seems trite, but it's true. And you know, I may not be making as much money as I did in the past, or whatever. But that's not where my head is at right now. Mm-hmm. My, my head is is around personal fulfillment, satisfaction, growth, helping others. These are these are attributes that I wouldn't have associated in my prior right, or at least they wouldn't have been the first tier attributes. Is right? mm-hmm. SVP trying to be EVP? Is EVP trying to be CMO? Right. Is director trying to be VP, right? Those were the attributes, mm-hmm. and and I'm just so happy that um, uh, I'm at a point in my life where um, I respect those things, but they don't have they don't carry the same level of weight and importance to me right now. Which sure, creates, which creates room for a whole lot of other things,
0: and it's an evolution into now a bit of finance, which is. Not being motivated by by money, you know, title, money, options, equity, whatever it may be. You talked about freedom. You know, coming coming first.
1: You know,
0: um, and what everybody's measure of of success is. Again, whether you are married with kids, not married with kids, whether you don't have to have that conversation with anybody but yourself, or I or I may have to have that conversation with maybe three or four people. But how how are you? Becoming secure with whatever that decision is, um, and and I think we all have it have it differently. This is, comes up a lot, and um, just how much is enough? Again, at what point are we chasing you know, something that may not bring more happiness? And what are we giving up you know, in terms of freedom or or security or happiness and experiences because? we either want the next title or we want more money or we want, and then we lose perspective on it.
2: And to be clear on, on finance, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tout that as one of my strengths in terms of how I've managed my own life. But what I will tell you is I'm enormously happy that I stumbled across a book called rich dad, poor dad Mm. many years ago. And I can't tell you how many of those I've bought or given away to people. And, uh, just you know, just recently, uh, uh, a guy I knew he was a kid back when I knew him at WWE, and he's he's now you know probably in his early forties, and he sent me the nicest note on Facebook Messenger just three weeks ago, and he said that thank you for getting that book for me. I follow the model. My wife, you know, I now have two kids. Uh, he's li- he was living in Connecticut before. We have two or three rental properties. Like he followed the blueprint hmm. And so he will be, you know, much better off financially by the time he hits his 50s for this for some of the decisions he made in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So so, you know, I, I love that story as a parable of the one father with nose to the grindstone, not generating equity or any long term uh, net worth capital and the other the entrepreneur who had the presence of mind to invest in some things that provided you know passive income and those kind of things so i don't always practice what i preach but i preach that message to a lot of people right mm. Which is, you know whatever it means to you just make sure you're not single source income dependent on a big company for your future net worth and financial happiness
0: yep when you speak and you mention, okay, I don't always practice what I preach or here's something that I might adv- advise or consult on, it comes with a confidence that you don't have to necessarily listen to me or I may not always practice with my, what I preach, but I'm putting this out there for, for your consideration. And even not that everybody can, else can see you right now, the manner in which you, the manner in which you sit, there's a relaxed, there's a confidence. There's like, you know, I've been around, you know, a little bit. Um, is this a middle-aged thing or is this you, you've, been like this for a while? Because you talked about early on, like you knew, like you were at school late. Okay. I still want to ask you what instrument you played, you know, and what you were doing, drinking coffee at, you know, 10 years old and doing all this. But this this quiet kind of confidence, you know, that you speak with purpose.
2: Yeah, I I was, I was, I was lucky and I kind of buried the lead. My dad was a diplomat to the UN. So my, my dad both of my parents, but especially my dad, carries a sense of purpose, right? He's the guy I tell people, you know, in my teens, he'd mow the lawn in suit pants. I don't think he's ever owned a pair of jeans or tennis shoes other than to play tennis in, right? He ain't he ain't that casual guy. <laughs> okay. And and which I love and I admire. And so around the dinner table, when I was a kid, we were talking world affairs. I mean, he you know, my parents, you know, everybody in my family Grew up fairly poor in an island that was growing up as well. Barbados became independent in '67, and my dad is an OG in, in for lack of a better word, the freedom movement in Barbados. He was he was a civil servant working for the government. He left Barbados in the early '60s. My first flight, I think, was when I was three months old. Right, I moved from Barbados. We moved from Barbados to Trinidad because he was part of an initiative to create a. A coalition of Caribbean nations, kind of what is called Caricom today. Uh, It was called the Federation. So I always call him kind of an early freedom fighter. He was trying to establish the Caribbean as a trading block in the early '60s, and he moved to New York. That failed. Then he moved to New York to work at the UN for the Barbados Embassy, and then he moved to Washington, D.C., and then he he ended his career working for a group called the Organization of American States. So some of this is just like, you know, they talk nurture versus nature. I didn't have a choice. This is what we talked about, you know, breakfast. And, you know, when the U.S. invaded Grenada, my dad's head just about popped off his neck. He was, you know, this is back in the Cold War, and he's like, they're Mm. not invading China. They're not invading Russia. They're invading Grenada, Right. (laughs) So uh, I've always had a, and and the other thing that my parents imbued in me, both of them is, you know, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I remember when I was a kid in New York and I hated snow and I like, do something about it. So they, they prompted me to write a letter to Mayor Lindsay, the famous Mayor Lindsay back in the day. And, and so those moments, uh, I think, uh, you know, some of this behavior I've obviously modeled watching my dad carry himself. And you know, th- there was no uh no uh speech at dinner that was too small for him to give a like UN quality general <laughs> assembly quality speech. Right. <laughs> it's Labor Day and today <laughs> we're together. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I kind of modeled that level of seriousness. Uh And 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 this and this just this sense of you know look as you move through life, um, do what you can. You know, my parents always said, you know, whatever job you know, if you're the dog catcher, be the best fucking dog catcher out there, but do it with pride. Right, do it with pride. No offense to the dog catchers out there, because
0: absolutely. So we we talk about the seriousness, um, and your face lights up as you as you're talking about it, and the and the demeanor. Uh, If I cut to the absurd for a second, okay, just because. 'Cause I have to ask. WWE. Like, did you watch the matches? Did you enjoy the Indian abs- 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 like was this like something you I'm were watching? I'm a
2: West Indian. I didn't have a choice. So I had a, my my parents watched it a little bit. My brother and I watched it a lot. I had an aunt and uncle who I love who've passed, and we would um for for about half a year, I think my parents were in D C. My brother and I were in Brooklyn. So we stayed with Aunt Beryl and Uncle Ralph. And they loved wrestling so much, Greg. They watched it it in, this pre-cable, Rabbit Ears, Saturday Night, Spanish Language Station. That's how much we watched wrestling. None of us spoke Spanish. We watched it in Spanish. We loved it. We loved
0: it. (laughs) Look, my passion for it, Came up, I used to watch it with my dad before he passed away. Watched it with my dad. We would also go into Madison Square Garden from from Long Island into Madison Square Garden. To the live show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch the matches there. WrestleMania won. My dad was in the cable television industry. You mentioned working for Comcast. He was literally built like the original cable systems. New York, Atlanta, Dallas. I mean, with the actual strand of cable. So going down to Atlanta to Turner back then. Yeah, to see you know world championship wrestling back in the Gordon Soli announcing days, um, and that was you know, my my impetus for being even interested in it was like even for the short time I was like as a misdirected young person I was like maybe I could even work for the WWE because I just had fond memories of watching that growing up. And I still watch the network now, not the new stuff, but the stuff that reminds me of the experiences that I had growing up, pre-pay-per-view when it was closed circuit, you know, or live. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: It's a great brand. Great brand.
0: Absolutely. So when you're dialing it back now, yep, you're at home. Mm -hmm. What are you cooking? What's the? I mean, is there? One, what's your ex- favorite experience when you're at home? I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you with okay. What we're cooking? What you're passionate about? And what's Jeff at home? He's off the clock.
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
2: so uh, I love the news. There, there are two genres I watch. Three genres I, I could watch endlessly: news, MSNBC is on right now. Um, cooking shows, Top Chef, any of those shows, Chopped. Can watch them all day long. Law and Order can watch that all day long. And I'm in the kitchen as these are on, and I'm cooking. Uh, I did, I, I do, a, I do a quick salmon where I put some fresh herbs on it, wrap it in foil with a little olive oil, pop it in the oven. I like quick too, like that's 18 minutes. Um, you know, Sun. This past Sunday, I cooked a traditional American breakfast with all of it, and just you know, the 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 the. Uh, spinach omelet, you know, a friend of mine was over and that that was fun. So so, you know, just puttering around in the kitchen, doing some fish, some kind of seafood. Seafood stew is one of my you know, chiapino, right? Mm. Classic. Love that. That's a longer process. Grilling, good steak or something, you know, steak and asparagus, you know, on a grill. Love that too.
0: Well, I'm hungry now. And I'm going to let you, and I'm going to let you go cuz you've got a lot a lot to do and I really appreciate you being so generous with your time, insight, glimpse into your world, your perspective, your insight. Uh, Jeff Rochester, Midlife Mail Podcast today. Thank you so much, my friend. Honor and a pleasure. All right, thank you so much for listening to the Midlife Mail Podcast. Really appreciate it once again. Please Give us that five-star rating. Leave us that five-star review. It truly helps. If there are guests you want to hear on the podcast, reach out let me know. You can find me on Instagram at Greg Scheinman. You can send me an email, greg at midlifemail.com.